First, second Samuel, chapter number 24 tonight. Second Samuel, chapter number 24 tonight. And this is the end of the book of Second Samuel. And the title of tonight's message is David Sins Again. David Sins Again. It's a note and a reminder to all of us. Uh, there's never a time in our life where we should let down our guard about the possibility that we can blow it, sin, sin against God. You know, it's one thing when young people sin and we work through the sin of youth. But it's a whole other thing to watch when someone in their waning years and the end of life allows some root of bitterness or pride or contention to cause them to end their days in sin. And I want to warn you, I want to challenge you to keep your heart void of offense with God. And remember that it's possible that even after a long season of doing well, that sin can make a mess in your life. We're going to watch David and near the end of his life sin again. David sins again. I want to make something clear to you as we begin to read chapter number 24. The first thing, the first time you read this, you kind of want to go a little cross-eyed, but I'll just tell you that uh, David's sin was counting the people of Israel. Now, we're going to read this, and I don't want you to be confused about it, but as we read this, I think it will help you understand that David's sin was to count the people of Israel. David, in his heart, wanted to count and see over the course of his rule in the nation of Israel just how many mighty men of valor had risen up and been born under his control. And a matter of pride moved David to count the nation of Israel and count these men in the nation of Israel, and God doesn't like it. So with that as our prerequisite, let me read to you the 24th chapter of the book of Second Samuel. The Bible says in verse 1, And again the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. For the king said to Joab, the captain of the host, which was with him, Go now through all the tribes of Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, and number ye the people, that I may know the number of the people. And Joab said unto the king, Now the Lord thy God add unto the people, how many soever they be, an hundredfold, and that the eyes of the Lord, of my Lord the king may see it. But why doth my lord the king delight in this thing? Notwithstanding, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the host. And Joab and the captains of the host went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. And they passed over Jordan and pitched in Aurora on the right side of the city that lieth in the midst of the river of Gad and toward Jazer. Then they came to Gilead. And to the land of Tatim Hodshai. And they came to Dan Jan and about to Zidon, and came to the stronghold of Tyre, and to all the cities of the Hivites, and of the Canaanites, and they went out to the south of Judah, even to Beersheba. So when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and twenty days. And Joab gave up the sum of the number of the people unto the king. And there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men that drew the sword. And the men of Judah were 500,000 men. 
And David's heart smote him. After that, he had numbered the people. And David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly, and that I have done. And now I beseech thee, O Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant. For I have done very foolishly. For when David was up in the morning, the word of the Lord came unto the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say unto David, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. Choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. So Gad came to David and told him and said unto him, Shall seven years of famine come unto thee in thy land? Or wilt thou flee three months before thine enemies while they pursue thee? Or that there be three days pestilence in thy land? Now advise and see what answer I shall return to him that sent me. And David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait. Let us fall now into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. And let me not fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from the morning, even to the time appointed. And there died of the people from Dan even to Beersheba 70,000 men. And when the angel stretched out his hand upon Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord repented him of the evil and said to the angel that destroyed the people, It is enough. Stay now thine hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing place of Aruna, the Jebusite. And David spake unto the Lord and when he saw the angel that smote the people and said, Lo, I have sinned, I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray, they be against me and against my father's house. And Gad came that day to David and said unto him, Go up, rear an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. And David, according to the saying of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. And Aruna looked and saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Aruna went out and bowed himself before the king on his face into the ground. And Aruna said, Wherefore is my lord the king come to his, to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor of thee, to build an altar unto the Lord, that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Aruna said unto David, Let my lord the king take and offer him up what seemeth good unto him. Behold, here be oxen for burnt sacrifice, and threshing instruments, and other instruments of the oxen for wood. All these things did Aruna as a king give unto the king. And Aruna said unto the king, The Lord thy God accept thee. And the king said unto Aruna, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for fifty shekels of silver. And David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord was entreated for the land and the plague was stayed from Israel. David sins again. David sins again. We're going to look at this passage of scripture together. And I want to bring this message. David sins again. I want to remind you of some things and show you some things. And maybe the Lord will help us to prevent having sin in our lives. We should deal with sin. We should deal with it consistently. And we should be keenly aware of the fact that we can fall into it at any given time. Sin. God hates sin. And David in his waning years... 
once again finds himself falling prey to his sinful nature. And if we're not careful, we will too. I want to challenge you. Ask the Lord to keep your heart pure before him. And deal with your sin regularly. Don't let sin heap and pile. Don't get to the place, especially in the end of your life, don't get to the place where sin ruins the time that God has left for you. Sin. Sin. David sins again. Let's consider this number one. Let's look at David's sin. Uh, the first nine verses would give us some insight into David's sin, and we're going to look at it together, and we'll talk about David's sin. The Bible says in verse 1, Again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. Now, this first verse is a little bit confusing because the Bible says that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and it was. And the Bible says that he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. And so here's something that God is allowing to happen. There is a parallel passage. And a lot of the book of 2 Samuel has parallel in the book of 1 Chronicles. I want you to keep your finger in 2 Samuel 24. And I want you to turn over to 1 Chronicles chapter number 21. When you read 1 Chronicles chapter number 21, it's a parallel of this account. And I'm not going to tell you because I don't believe that there's an error in 2 Samuel 24. I'm just going to tell you that 1 Chronicles 21 complements 2 Samuel 24 and says something a little different and gives us the second and the other side of the story. The Bible says in chapter 21 of 1 Chronicles, verse number 1, the Bible says, And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. And David said to Joab and to the rulers of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba even to Dan and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. Now the Bible gives some insight into what's going on in this story. In the book of 2 Samuel verse chapter 24, the Bible says that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. That is true. That is true. And Satan is at work and the Lord is at work and Satan is doing his best to destroy the nation of Israel, to destroy David and prompting David and God is going to allow David to fall into the trap of his own sin in order to teach him and help him. This is what God does. God uses Satan's best effort and turns it around and turns it on its head for the glory of God and the benefit of his people. We've got to, as God's people, to not fall for Satan's traps. But when we've failed and faltered and fallen into sin, you remember something very important. God is able to take our great fall and turn it into something sweet and right and good in the end. May the Lord help us. God is allowing David to sin, and David's sin was to go and number Israel and Judah. Go and number Israel and Judah. Now, there's several ideas here. Why in the world would a king, an old king, want to number the people of Israel and Judah? As you study this and look at it, we understand that the number that they bring back is the number of valiant men, the number of soldiers, the number of folks that were able to wield a sword. And the number comes back 1.3 million able-bodied fighting men in the nation of Israel. And most people believe that David wanted to number this group of people so that he could rest in the size of his army. Now I'm reminded of something. We can't rest 
in the multitude of men. We can't rest in the strength of the horse. We can't rest in the strength of our might. And may God help us to be reminded that our strength comes from the Lord. Our hope is in the Lord. And David, because of his pride, numbered the nation of Israel. Because of his faithlessness, he numbered the, name, the, the, the men of Israel. He was full of pride. Now, folks, pride in your life is going to cause you a big mess along the way. Pride. Pride of your possessions, pride of your strength, pride. Pride, something that God hates. I've been thinking so much about it. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Oh, I want God's blessing. And David's pride was something that reared up in his life. And made a big mess. The Bible continues, verse number 2. The king said to Joab, the captain of the host, which was with him, Go now through all the tribes of Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, and number ye the people, that I may know the number of the people. So David sends Joab, his general, to go and number the people. The Bible says, verse number 3, And Joab said unto the king, now the Lord thy God add unto the people how many soever they be, an hundredfold, and that the eyes of my Lord the king may see it. But why doth my Lord the king delight in this thing? Now Joab looks at David and says, David, God can provide for you however many soldiers you need anytime you need it. Why in the world are you taking such delight in making this count and finding this number? Joab, now I want you to know something. Joab has been a dirty, rotten dog so many times. But at this moment, Joab is giving good counsel to David. You know what David did? David disregarded the counsel of a faithful advisor. Let me tell you something. Pride is a sin. Arrogancy is a sin. And David came to a place in his life where he would not heed good counsel. Folks, every one of us, without exception, all through the course of our lives, need good counsel. We need good counsel. If you think somehow that you have superseded every person around you in intelligence and understanding, let me tell you something, you are going to fall a hard fall and crash miserably in your own silly pride. I gotta help you. The Bible says, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And if King David, the inspired writer of the majority of the Psalms, King David, the man after God's own heart, needed to heed counsel from counselors, so do you. And so do I. Oh, it's one of the glories of having a church family. It's one of the glories of surrounding yourselves with Christian people. You're not on an island. You need help, you need counsel. And as my mom has said so many times, you can learn this the hard way or you can learn this the easy way. And this is one of those moments when David's going to learn the hard way because David will not heed counsel. David's sin, the sin of pride, he would not heed counsel. It continues, the Bible says in verse 4, Joab has given his counsel. Counsel was denied. The Bible says, verse 4, Notwithstanding, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the hosts. And Joab and the captain of the host went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. Here's what the Bible says. Joab gave counsel. 
The Bible gives us a hint that the captains of the host gave a counsel to David. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Notwithstanding, nevertheless, the Bible says that the king's word prevailed. When your word and your will prevails against all the sound counsel around you, there is one beautiful, powerful word to describe that. Stubbornness. Stubbornness. Let me tell you something. Stubbornness is not a Christ-honoring quality. Stubbornness. You know what David said? I don't care if I'm wrong. I don't care if you say that I'm wrong. I want what I want, and I'm going to get what I want. Stubbornness. Now, stubbornness is something that all of us deal with at certain times in our lives. But David here, as an old man, is looking at his life, and he's, uh, he's kind of resting in his power and resting in his authority. And this sin is going to be a sin that's going to taint the end of the king's life. Stubbornness. I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I being stubborn? Am I being stubborn? Am I being unwilling to change, though God is prompting me to change? Am I being unwilling to heed, though God and good counsel is encouraging me to heed? Stubbornness is a sin. And David was guilty of the sin of pride and stubbornness, unwilling to take counsel. And David got what he wanted. Do you know that sometimes I think God issues judgment on his people by just letting them have what they want? Here's what happens. The Bible says in verse 5 that they passed over Jordan, pitched in a roar on the right side of the city that lieth in the midst of the river of Gad and toward the Jazer. Then they came to Gilead, to the land of Tatum, Hodshai, and they came to Danjaan and about to Zidon, and they came to the stronghold of Tyre and to all the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites, and they went out to the south of Judah, even to Beersheba. So when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. Look what happened. God doesn't want David to number the people. God doesn't want David to be puffed up in pride. God doesn't want David to end his life in stubborn rebellion. God doesn't want this, but David persists and God lets him have his way. And Joab and David's men, they spend nine months and 20 days counting all these people. Folks, if you're stubborn enough, God will let you have what you want. But when you get what God has forbidden, I want you to know something, you're going to regret it. And in David's life, this was just the case. David's sin, number one, leads to David's conviction of sin and David's consequences of sin. Look what the Bible says in verse number 10. In verse number 9, we have the number 800,000 valiant men in Israel. Uh, 500,000 valiant men in Judah. And in verse 10, here's what happens. David got what he wanted. David got what he insisted on. David got what his pride demanded. And here's the byproduct. Verse 10, and David's heart smote him. After that, he had numbered the people. What happened to David? David got what he yearned for. He had a number, and it's a big number. Can you imagine coming back? And not many years ago, David's kingdom was bust 
into pieces. Not many years ago, David's kingdom was ruled by that scoundrel Saul. Not many years ago. And God had blessed David's kingdom as, and David as king. And now David's able to look back and say, wow, I've got 1.3 million valiant men that can fight for the glory of God. But he couldn't say the glory of God because he'd done something God didn't want him to do. And he was putting his pride and Putting his trust, I should say, he's putting his trust in a big number of valiant men. And God smote his heart. How many of you have ever experienced the conviction of sin? I'd say everyone here has. I hope you have. You know how God lets us know one of the many ways, that, and, but one of the main ways God lets us know that we're his children? God, like a loving father, convicts us of our sin. You do something wrong, he'll make you feel dog guilty. And when God convicts you of your sin, you be reminded of that's just a wonderful sign that you have a Father in heaven that loves you. Don't ever get the place where you have such a calloused heart that when God convicts you of your sin, you dismiss it. And David, praise God, David, though he sinned and he was stubborn, and nine months, can you imagine this? For nine months, David stuck to his guns and his stubborn pride. But when the job was completed, the thing that he wanted, the thing that he sinned to get, the report came across his desk. Guess what happened? At that moment, the Holy Spirit made it clear, and he was convicted of his sin. The Bible says David's heart smote him. After that, he had numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly. I want you to see something. This is so important. Praise the Lord that David, when he realized he had done the wrong thing, David, when he felt conviction of sin, David at that moment, when he knew that he had just been so full of filthy, rotten pride and sin, David's heart smote him. And David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly. Until you can get to the place where you are willing to acknowledge to the Lord that what you're doing and what you've done is sin, you have not become a confessor. I'll never forget, as a teenager, Tim Jane gave a devotion. Uh, one time we were on a little missions trip in Ohio. We are staying at uh, a Bible college. What's the name of that college? Southland Bible Institute. And I'll never forget, we were sitting in a common area room there in the dorms at Southland Bible Institute. And Tim gave a devotion on if we confess our sins. He's faithful and just. Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he taught us and told us what confession was. It helped me. He said, confession is not, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I'm begging for forgiveness. That's not confession. That's not what God requires. Confession is when you just simply acknowledge that God is right and you are wrong. Confession. Confession is acknowledging that what you've done is a sin against God. And I want you to see confession is a wonderful thing. Confession is something some folks will try to give to appease their conscience. Some people try to serve to appease their conscience. But what God wants, to do, wants you to do, God wants you to acknowledge and humble yourself and come to the place where you say, hey, look, God, you're right. I'm wrong. And David, at this moment, as rotten as his sin was and as long as his sin had lasted this time, nine months, when God smote his heart, 
when he surrendered to the conviction of sin in his life, he confessed, I've sinned greatly in that I have done. And now, verse 10, I beseech thee, O Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. I just love the fact that David comes to a place where he's humble. Until you come humbly to the Lord, you have not become repentant of sin. He was humble. He humbled himself. I've done very foolishly. The conviction of sin and repentance. David did that. I want to remind you of something. One of the grand reasons why we should strive not to have sin in our lives. One, it pleases, it displeases God and that should break our hearts. But I want you to understand something. Sin has consequences. All sin is forgivable. Do you know that? All confessed sin is forgivable. And God will forgive. He's faithful to forgive. He's just to forgive it. But forgiven sin still bears often consequences. And when David, the king of Israel, sinned against God, confessed his sin, there would be consequences to follow. And we read and see some of the consequences. It's a heartbreaking thing to see a man that was given authority in the nation of Israel who makes such a terrible decision and sins against God because Great grief is going to fall in the nation of Israel. The consequences of sin are going to fall. The Bible says in verse number 11, When David was up in the morning, the word of the Lord came unto the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say unto David, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. Choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. Now that's interesting. God comes to David and says, David, you're going to have three choices of punishments. You get to pick which of the three punishments you want in the commentaries and some things you read and study about this. Because David made a, a lot of folks say that because David had a had a choice in his sin he made this decision it was a it was a sin of his will God gives him a choice on what his punishment is going to be this is not a good day for David and here's what the prophet Gad comes and says to David that his three choices are verse number 13 Gad came to David and told him and said unto him shall seven uh, shall seven years of famine come unto thee in thy land he said choice one seven years of famine on the nation of Israel I don't want that one, do you? The Bible says, Or wilt thou flee three months before thine enemies while they pursue thee? Choice two. He says, three months, three years, three months, you're fleeing before your enemies. You're running for your life. Your enemy's pursuing you. Three months of that. Or that there be three days of pestilence in thy land. A pandemic. The Bible says, Now advise and see what answer I shall return to him that sent me. The prophet Gad says, You think about it, you pray about it, and you let me know what I need to tell God. The Bible says, verse 14, And David said unto Gad, I'm in a great strait. This is a tough decision. Let us fall now into the hand of the Lord. For his mercies are great, and let me not fall into the hand of man. I think that David looked at these and said, I'm going to have to depend on men in order to provide and help me in years of famine. I'm going to have to run from men during the three years, the three months of my enemies. He says, but when I have three days of pestilence, germs and disease and 
pandemics. As my late Uncle Cecil would say, panoramics are in the hand of God. And David said, he said, I'm going to choose the one that strictly involves God. You know, I'm going to choose the one that strictly involves God because men are terrible. But my God, my God, his mercies are great. The Bible says in verse 15, So the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from the morning even to the time appointed. And there died of the people from Dan even to Beersheba, 70,000 men. When the angel stretched out his hand upon Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord repented him of the evil and said to the angel that destroyed the people, It is enough. Stay now thine hand. Now, the pestilence had made its way through the land and got to Jerusalem. And there's an angel of the Lord with a sword that pictures the, the uh, ad, administration of this great punishment. And when the angel of the Lord is about to strike and smite Jerusalem with this pestilence, God in his mercy says, it's enough. It's enough. And the Lord stayed his hand against punishing Jerusalem. The Bible says at the end of verse 16, the angel of the Lord was by the threshing place of Aruna, the Jebusite. And David spake unto the Lord when he saw the angel that smote the people and said, Lo, I have sinned, I have done wickedly. But these sheep, when he mentions sheep, he's talking about all the innocent folks who have died. I want to remind you of something. If you have any role, any place of authority in the lives of any person, your sin does not only affect you, it affects all the people under you and around you. And David says, Lord, I've sinned, but these sheep, the nation of Israel, I pray thee, let your hand be against me and not against them. Be against me, be against my father's house. And the Bible says in verse 18 that Gad came that day to David. Gad came to David and said unto him, go up, rear an altar. I like that word, the word rear. Have you ever heard somebody say about rearing children? That's an old word, rear. Uh, rear an altar. What's that mean? It means build one, raise one up. Rear an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. God says, raise up an altar. You're going to make a sacrifice. And the Bible says, David, according uh, and David, according to the saying of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. And Aruna looked and saw the king and his servants. Bottom line is, Aruna says, Yes, sir, King David, you can have my threshing floor. I'll provide all the instruments that you need. I'll provide the, the wood for the burning. I'll provide the animal for the altar. No charge here. And David begins to offer up the sacrifice to the Lord. He builds there, erects there an altar. And offers the sacrifice to the Lord. Verse 24, the Bible says, The king said to Aruna, Nay, you can't, I'm not going to let you give me all this. He says, I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. The Bible says, David, verse 25, built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord was entreated for the land and the plague was stayed from Israel. Point number one, David's sin. Point number two, conviction and consequences of sin. All those people died. Point number three, the forgiveness of sin. God spoke to Gad. And Gad spoke to David. 
and told David, you build an altar, make a sacrifice. And when he built an altar and made a sacrifice, the Lord was entreated. The Lord was pleased. The Lord was ready and willing to forgive. Now, it reminds us of some exciting things in this New Testament age in which we live. Folks, we don't have to build an altar. We don't have to kill a lamb. God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, paid the price for our sins. And He is faithful to forgive our sins. And He is just to forgive us our sins because He is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Let me remind you of something. If you've sinned again, David sinned again, and David's sin was pride and stubbornness, and conviction fell on David's life, and David confessed his sin, and God made a way that he could, through a sacrifice, have forgiveness of sin, and the grace and mercy of God would fall on David and his land. I'm encouraged to know that the forgiveness of sins for God's people does not require a sacrifice, a burnt offering, an altar, a purchase. Our forgiveness has been paid in full through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He's ready. Will you repent of your sins? Turn to the Lord. Let God forgive you. You see, God forgave the sins. God was entreated. And the plague was stayed from Israel. Let me tell you one more thing before we quit. It's probably the most exciting thing about this whole passage. The future of grace. Now we come to a place in our lives where we think, Man, I've gone so far. I've messed up so bad. It's too late for me. That's not true. Do you know that God has the ability to use our greatest sins and greatest failures for his glory? You know something fascinating? Aruna. Aruna's threshing floor was the place that David bought to make the sacrifice in order to stop the plague and please the Lord and get forgiveness. Do you know what else happened at Aruna's threshing floor? It is the place and the location where God would use Solomon to erect the temple of the Lord. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Solomon. Solomon, the son of David and Bathsheba, the product of one of David's big, bad, dirty, rotten sins, is going to be used of God to raise up the temple of God on the very spot that David purchased to get forgiveness for the second of his great big sins. And that's just how God works. God can take two of your bad sins and on that spot and through those circumstances erect a temple and do the work of God. Look, don't keep sinning. You're not hopeless. Don't keep sinning. And you remember that God can take what the devil's intended to destroy your life and make something good and right out of it. Turn to the Lord. Repent of your sin. Don't sin again. Don't fall like David. Turn to the Lord. Get forgiveness. You'll find God's always faithful. Let's pray.